0: Welcome to another episode of Aliyah Money Talks, brought to you by Blue and White Finance. I'm thrilled to be here with uh, with Nadav, our first repeat guest on on the podcast, uh, my partner in crime. Nadav, uh, why don't you start it. by <laughs> why don't you start by telling us about your startup experience beyond you know the startup that we're working on together? Uh, tell us about the. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're more exciting, maybe less exciting, but bigger startup experience uh, uh, from previous, from, from the past.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm excited to be able to kind of step out a little bit from the day-to-day of the finance and talk about my experience in the startup world. I mean, I am a co-founder of a company called Intelligo Group, which we started in 2014. Um, and I was involved in running for about seven years until about a year and a half ago. Um, at Intelligo group, we built AI technology that would do background checks automatically on people and companies. We worked with some of the biggest investment firms and banks, uh, in America and around the world. And, and I was involved in every aspect of the business from the beginning through to the end. So in the very beginning, there was like four of us in the office and I built our first app and, uh, designed our background check reports and was involved in the finance and just bookkeeping and reconciling accounts and hiring people. And we traveled to Greece to do various investigations. Um, very, very exciting. Uh, and then all the way through to the company growing out to, to close to hundred employees around the world and the challenges of Corona, um, and dealing with multimillion dollar budgets, um, making lots of mistakes along the way, learning a huge amount, um, building a company that, uh, that's still running strongly
0: that's great um i think that's really fantastic background for for what we're going to talk about today which is you know somebody listening in the audience that's thinking about launching their own company launching their own big startup idea you know many of us here in israel we like to dream we like to think big we like to change the world in in, in a big way i think that's a big driver of you know many people living here in, in israel as you can see in the in the startup economy uh so why don't we start off with kind of a simple question which is should you start your own company?
1: It's a good question. Um, and I guess I'm coming somewhat with a bias. I've had the experience of being an employee, of running now a small business, and of starting and running a startup, and they are completely different. Um, and, you know, my bias is, is from the fact that I transitioned away from the startup world into small business world, which is something that I personally enjoy more. But I think the starting point when someone's thinking about whether they should start their own company is to say, no that starting a company is certainly not for everyone. It's certainly not for most people. It's maybe for a tiny minority of the population. Um, And and there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, startups fail. Um, Most startups fail. There's a stat that says that firstly, 84% of startups fail before they even have a product. And overall, only about 5% of startups succeed. And, and, the question is why, like, why are so many startups failing and not, not managing to, uh, to build a successful business? And it's because it's, it's, it's hard. Everything has to fall into place. One thing doesn't work. One major thing doesn't work and the company isn't going to succeed. You need to be able to find product market fit. In other words, produce a product that's going to fulfill a market need. And that people are going to want to pay for on mass and at scale, um, You need to be able to find the right partners and the right co-founders to, to hire the right staff, to know how to market and sell, to know how to develop the product. All these things have to fall into, have to fall into place. Um, and so only people who are extremely passionate about solving a problem, who know how they want to solve it, um, and who feel that they can't not do it and that the world needs them to do it. I think those are the only people who really should consider becoming an entrepreneur and becoming a founder of a startup.
0: So if we dive a little deeper, what are our, are, are kind of good <coughs> and bad reasons to, to want to start, you know, to, to want to build a startup, what are, you know, how would you kind of break that down a little bit deeper when I'm thinking about starting my own company, starting, you know, building out some great idea that I have in my mind, how do I evaluate it? How do I know if this is a good or, or bad idea? What are, what are reasons I should consider in terms of moving forward?
1: Yeah. The reason why it's such a good question is because most people start startups for the wrong reasons. So people who see themselves as an entrepreneur, people who feel like they want to be in control of their own time and own decisions. They want to be their own boss. These are not good reasons for starting a startup because at the end of the day, entrepreneur is a very uh, undefined term. And it's something that you won't really know what it is until you, until you get into it, when you're running a startup you're not in You're somewhat in control of your own own time. But at the end of the day, you're reporting to someone still, you're reporting to your investors and to your board. Um, and the pressures that are placed on you to make sure that the company succeeds mean that ultimately you're not in control of your own time and you'll end up working a lot more hours than, than, uh, than you did previously. Um, if you want to be successful or famous or, um, or, you know, appear on the New York stock exchange at an IPO. These are all bad reasons to start a startup for people that want to make a lot of money, you would imagine that starting your own business is the best chance of doing that. But at the end of the day, the studies show that on average, those that start startups often earn a lot less than what they could otherwise as an employee, let's say in the high tech space. And the reason is because of the probability of failure and not being able to take much money out of the business. And even when the business succeeds, you often find that those people who Uh, made it through, managed to maybe exit and sell their company. They own only a small portion of the company at the end of the day. The average is about 15% of the company still owned by founders, and that's split between all of the founders. But sometimes it's a lot less than that if things didn't really go to plan. Um, And I think also people that want to have a huge um, impact on society, startup is one way of doing it. But again, because of the, the probability of the startup not actually succeeding, not actually having that impact, you might find that there, are, there are other ways to be able to have a similar, similar impact. What are the good reasons? So firstly, you have to enjoy the day to day of running a company. If you're a designer who loves designing or a developer who loves developing or a, a salesperson who loves selling, then starting a company is probably not for you because you really have to enjoy management, enjoy managing people, enjoy building out processes, enjoy implementing ideas, Networking, marketing yourselves, all of these kind of things are really what your day to day is going to look like. And if you don't enjoy those things, then even if you have a great idea in your particular space, it's just not worth getting into it.
0: Um, and, and some things you probably don't enjoy, uh, you're going to have to do along the way. That's par- part of the deal, I imagine, uh, in any startup as well.
1: 100%. 100%. Um, I think the best founders are driven optimists um, who are able to ride out. The, the the difficult times because running a startup and i think Aaron i'll send you a, a picture to stick me below this video running a startup is a roller coaster every day every month and every year these incredible ups, ups and downs and regularly there'll be times when you feel like everything is going to hell and and the is going to fail and everyone's going to lose their jobs without a doubt that will be something that you experience and if you're not an, an optimist someone with a huge amount of self-confidence and the true belief that it's going to work, then you're not going to be able to get through at the same time. have to you know how to surround yourself with people who are realists and can implement and, and, uh, and the like, you have to enjoy like the thrills of these highs and lows. Um, and you have to be prepared for the stress and responsibility and you have to be able to enjoy that somewhat. I think the best description that somebody once told me of what is it like to, um, what is it like to be a CEO of a startup is that there's always a hundred fires blazing and you only have time in any particular day to put out four or five of them if you're lucky. And the skill comes from being able to choose what are the issues that you're going to address in any particular day.
0: Yeah, uh, Great analogy. So let's say you're not dissuaded at this point. You Really do want to move forward, and you believe your idea can be extremely impactful to the world, and it's worth pursuing. How do you start? How do you test your idea? Uh, you know, uh, in the beginning,
1: it's uh, it's really difficult when you're sitting in your house, maybe you're chatting with a friend. You've got this idea. Sounds like it's good. It sounds like it's going to solve all the world's problems. But then it's difficult to know whether it's actually good and whether whether it's going to do what you think it might do and whether people are going to be interested in buying the product. And so this whole idea of market validation is, is something that you need to um, spend real time in. You need to invest real time in making sure that you can validate the idea. Um, firstly, you have to define the idea. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you an example of of a bad idea, a, a bad definition of an idea that uh, that I wrote up here. Um, okay, so team communication has not improved much since the invention of Slack. Everyone's working at home and, uh, and teams aren't managing to communicate properly, so we're going to connect international teams using cutting-edge AI software and virtual solutions. I, I can't tell you how many times people that are wanting to start startups have come to me with an idea that sounds like that, um, and okay. the problem is, is that it's not well-defined. It doesn't refer to a fluff. Go on. It's
0: it's a fluffy idea without any real uh, substance.
1: Yeah. It doesn't have the substance of a particular audience, a well-defined problem, a well-defined solution. Um, And so, you know, just, I'm not saying this is a good idea, but but an example of how to translate that into something more substantial um, could be something like junior developers um, working from home take twice as long to onboard, and can take a year to build the quality of relationships that allow for effective communication and um, collaboration and, and innovation. And this is costing companies $100,000 per new employee. So that could be the defin- a, a more precise definition of a problem that we can picture, we can imagine, we can understand who it affects, and it is, is, and is may be solvable. I, I don't have a solution. Um, but it's important to be able to define your problem properly. And define well what your niche is. The best startups define a particular niche audience and then spend all their time and all their energy understanding that niche and solving the problem for them. A lot of people make the mistake of looking at the large companies, the Googles and Facebooks and and, and all of them who by now have hundreds of products and are serving thousands of different audiences. And, say, and and thinking that that's how a company begins, but the reason that it's important to define a, to have a well-defined audience and to have, um, a specific, uh, a specific niche is because then you can spend all your time building something that's going to solve a problem for a particular person. And if your audience is too broad, then the feedback that you get is going to be all over the place. And the solutions that you come up with and the features that you want to add are going to be all over the place. And you'll end up with a half assed product for only for a small portion of the people you are actually coming to, to service. Um, and so once you have kind of defined your problem and defined your audience, you have to get to know that audience. Well, you have to live a day in their shoes, follow them around, speak to 30 of them, speak to 40 of them, make sure that you have a really good understanding Of how their day works and the problems that that they're faced with you have to understand if you if you have a particular solution for something understand how they solve that problem today what because even even if it doesn't seem like they've got a solution they do they've got some way of dealing with that problem even if it's a bad way and and it's important to understand that you also have to understand not just whether the problem exists and whether it affects your audience but also whether it's an important problem to them, is it one of the top three things that worries them on a daily basis? Because if it's not, then they're not, they're not gonna spend time wanting to meet with you. They're not gonna spend money wanting to experiment with your product and it's gonna be that much harder to, to sell to them. And then once you've identified that it's an important problem, it, you also would ideally want to check that your solution is 10 times better, at least, than the existing solutions on the market. Because if it's only slightly better, then the switching costs for the customer are are potentially going to outweigh the extra benefit that you're providing them. And it's going to be that much harder to to sell to them. I mean, I think the last part of market validation is not just to do research and check the theory, but actually to find a way to see if someone's going to pay money for the product. And and that's tricky, but there's a few ways to do it. Um, You Consider selling a partially manual version. In other words, behind the scenes, you're doing some of the work manually if you haven't built automation for it yet. That's one solution that works in some for some products. For physical products or products that can be close to physical, sometimes you can just like make a fake Amazon listing and print it out and then go around to the audience and say, This is selling for $50. If two of us buy it together, we'll get a discount. Are you interested in buying this product? In other words, Having them, putting them in the mindset that this is something that exists, that they can pay money for it now, and seeing whether they're actually going to pay the money. Um, you can also consider pre-selling and design partners and other kinds of things. But the closer you can get to reality, um, the better chance you'll have to be to, to being able to actually validate whether your solution is going to be something that people will, will pay money for.
0: Got it. So I guess once you've gone through this entire process, you've tested out your products, you understand what value the product brings to the marketplace is your product better faster cheaper what are you doing for for the end consumer what value are you bringing is the next step in terms of turning this into a business is it going out and pursuing investors so you can have the capital to to uh you know implement this business is the next step to go out and just start selling how do you look at the next initial steps once you've kind of demonstrated the the value of the product or service
1: yeah um a lot of people do at this stage, go out and, and raise money. And sometimes that works. Sometimes you're able to wow investors with your idea and with a description of the problem, the, the problem and the solution, and maybe even some customers that you've interviewed and, and have expressed interest, but, um, but it's often too early. The problem with going out so early is first, it'll be much harder to raise money. And secondly, the, the valuation at which you raise that money is going to be a lot lower, which means you have to give away a high percentage of the business much earlier on. And that can be dangerous because uh, whenever you raise money, you often give away 20% or 30% of the business um, on average. And if you're doing that every year or two, then you suddenly get diluted to a huge extent. In other words, in the beginning of, uh, when, you, when, when you first found the business, you own 100%, but it's 100% of nothing. And then as you start raising rounds, your percentage holding goes down to 70% and 50% and, and, and gets lower and lower. So you want to be able to raise as little money as possible, as late as possible, uh, in order to be able to safely achieve your goals. And the best first step in a business is to build out what's called an MVP, a minimum viable product. So what is an MVP? It's a product which is firstly viable. It has to be something that brings real value to your customers. And secondly, it has to be minimum. It has to be the smallest viable product with the least amount of features still maintaining viability that you can possibly sell. And the reason for that is that when you have an idea for a business, it's probably a bad idea, even after you've checked with the market. And the, the key to successful businesses is being able to build out a product quickly, take it to market, start getting feedback, and then changing and iterating on that product. And if you spend, if you build too large a product, then you waste too much time and money. And the chance of succeeding as a business is relatively low. This whole process is often referred to as build, measure, learn. You build your product, you measure the results, you learn, iterate, improve, and change. And if you can become an expert at build, measure, learn, then, then you've increased your chances of success many, many fold. Um, and so getting that product right and spending time with the, with, with the customers is one of the most important things. And not investing time or at least too much time in tr- registering trademarks or patents or hiring large sales teams or investing money in marketing and branding. Those are things that will come later on at the right time. But for now, you really want to make sure you can, you can prove that you've identified product market fit. You've got a product that's serving need in the market that people are actually willing to pay for. And, and that's the hardest thing in, uh, in, in developing a startup.
0: Yeah. So ultimately, I guess when, when you're looking, when you're looking back at your experience, when you look at, you know, many of the other startup founders that you've seen and, you know, lurking around Tel Aviv and, and all around Israel, what do you think are important keys to success and and on the flip side failure uh, ultimately for, for these businesses, for these startups?
1: yeah um i mean i've mentioned quite a few already but i guess uh, we can we can review it again and we can try to summarize in order to be able to um to have a good idea of uh of what might possibly make a, a successful business so i mean firstly it's it's just getting started it's being able to do that initial research to have the confidence that um that your idea is something that that could succeed and could could make it big and, and to have that kind of optimism um, and then to validate that with research, the, the best way to make sure that you aren't on the wrong track is to be as close as possible for as long as possible to the customers and to the product itself. Um, and so a lot of, um, a lot of startup founders make the mistake of hiring a salesperson too early and then the sales person's responsible to, to sell to the customers and to get feedback, etc. cetera. Um, but, but it's a mistake because firstly, you're probably the best salesperson early on for your product in terms of ability to actually be able to, uh, to market it to the customer. But more importantly, when you're close to the customer, you understand their pain points, you understand their needs, you understand what's working for them in the product and not working for them in the product. Um, it's important with regards to the concept of MVP to only add to the product roadmap, those things that you really need to achieve true viability Customers are going to be asking for features all the time, and you have to be ruthless in your vision to be able to, to build out a certain product that's going to be to, to strategically address the needs of a market. Doesn't mean you ignore customer feedback, but you have to be very conscious as to what you include and what you what you don't include, and always to be focused on on, on value. Um, it's, it's very easy to be distracted by something that an investor recommends or by a, um, a particular project that a customer is willing to pay you $100,000 for, but maybe, maybe it's manual and you're gonna to have to hire staff to be able to, to build it out and it's not gonna be scalable. To always focus on the product, on what value the product brings and how that, how that changes the customer's lives is what's going to be most important. And we spoke as well about niche, uh, we spoke about build, measure, learn, Um, and one of the things that we haven't spoken about yet is making sure that not only is the problem big enough and important enough, but the market is big enough. So it's true that you'll start in a niche. Hopefully that niche is big enough to take you a certain way, but then you also have to know how you're going to scale, how you're going to break out of that niche and, and, and whether there is a big enough market to be able to support a company that can grow to a valuation of a hundred million dollars or a billion depending on what you are, depending
0: on what your vision is. Yeah. I mean, you meet so many entrepreneurs and, and, and different uh, startup founders and and you kind of, you kind of feel that, that passion, you feel that energy, you feel the move fast and break things type mentality. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's very helpful to also uh, understand the focus and the, the steps and the, you know, kind of the, how, how to, how to, channel that that passion uh into something that will ultimately be successful which is which is what all these uh founders are ultimately trying to achieve let's say you come to the conclusion that you know you you love this energy and 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 the entrepreneurship and you love the world uh, of entrepreneurship but you aren't ready to be a founder yourself you don't want to start a company how can you still be involved in entrepreneurship here in israel uh, without jumping, jumping off a ledge and and starting your own company.
1: Yeah, it's
0: it's sorry for the analogy there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a hard question because at the end of the day, there's nothing like being an entrepreneur. There's nothing like actually jumping off the ledge and, um, and being all in and being able to experience the roller coaster of the ups and downs of, of running a company. Um, but in saying that we're so lucky here in Israel, that there's such a huge high-tech sector. And by being able to join a company as a very early employee, you're able to get, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the experience that an entrepreneur has to be able to conceptualize a product from early on and build out an MVP and be able to identify an audience and do do the research and pivot. And a lot of those kind of things, you don't have to uh, put everything on the line in order to be able to achieve. You can, earn a salary, perhaps a lower salary, perhaps you'll get more equity, um, but being able to actually learn the skills of developing out a new company and, and a new product. Uh, and then maybe that will give you a better sense as to whether it's for you and whether it's worth taking the plunge.
0: Awesome. Uh, Nadav, this has been fascinating. I enjoy learning from you uh, on a daily basis, working together. Tell tell everybody where, where people can, st- learn more from you, see more from you and and get in touch.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, Aaron and I are working really hard together on building out our current business, which isn't a startup and a lot of the things, some of the things that I mentioned aren't so relevant, like raising money, but some of the things are really relevant, like uh, defining our our niche and product. Um, But uh, head to our website, bluewhitefinance.com. We've got a huge amount of um, free content and guides there, as well as our courses. And you can just book... You can book a time on our calendar if you want to get in touch, if you want to have a chat, if you want advice, um, and you can find everything there. Awesome.
0: This has been great, and uh, thanks for coming on. Have a great day.
1: Cheers.